So thankful that you're here today. If you're new with us, welcome. Whether you're here in the room, online, we want to welcome you to Redemption Hill Church. And we want you to know how much God loves you and what he wants to do in your life. And so to help us with that, we're going to turn to Mark chapter 5. Uh, we're going to begin in verse 1 and work our way through verse 20. And this morning, we're going to encounter what uh, I think at the end of this, you're going to say, wow, Pastor Tanner, that is one of the craziest stories in the Bible. And there are just all kinds of uh, amazing details that we see as we hear about Jesus' most intense encounter with a demon-oppressed man. And there are all kinds of questions that are raised here. What are demons? How can we recognize demons? What should we do if and when we today encounter a demon? And maybe most important, why is this so important? Because I, I think one of the, the temptations of our, of our minds and hearts today will be to hear all of the sensational details around this encounter that Jesus has with this man who is suffering. And we might miss the message over all the details which centers on the radical love of God. These words remind us of what Chad Johnson said when he said, Christians are called to love everyone on a scale only heaven could weigh. I love that. You might want to write that down. Christians are called to love everyone on a scale only heaven could weigh. And so as we work our way through this story, I hope you will have your pen ready or your finger ready to highlight verse 19 in the story, whether you're underlining, starring, highlighting, putting, putting a cross out in the margin, like whatever, where Jesus says this, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. This message of the love and the mercy of God hits us with great force as we see who Jesus is and what he has come to bring to our lives here today. So this morning, I want to speak to you about love of a different kind. Love of a different kind. This is what we encounter today in Mark chapter 5. This is what Mark writes for us. He says, they came to the other side of the sea. If you remember from last week, Jesus, in a tumultuous storm in the middle of the night, he commanded the wind and the waves to be still. He calmed the storm miraculously. And just as he said in verse 35 of chapter 4, we are going to the other side. Now in 5.1, we see they made it to the other side. And they made it to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. 
for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me? Jesus, son of the most high God, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying, Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs in the herd, numbering about 2,000. They rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, here it is, go home and tell your friends how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. This story teaches us how the love of Christ, the merciful love of Christ, overpowers demons to bring people freedom. I'll say that again. The merciful love of Christ overpowers demons to bring people freedom. We need to understand that Jesus and his disciples, having crossed the Sea of Galilee to the eastern shore, they have just entered into what Jews would have considered enemy territory. This was the land of the Gentiles, an area known as the Decapolis. And so in a very real sense, Jesus' mission to other nations begins right here in Mark chapter 5. And as soon as he steps off the boat in verse 2, the mission begins. It says that when Jesus stepped off the boat, immediately there met him 
out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. And so Jesus lands in an area of the countryside where there are tombs, okay? Think graveyard, the place of the dead. And for Jews, this would have meant uh, a risky business because any contact with the dead or even the place of the dead would have rendered a Jewish person unclean. But Jesus, out of his great love, goes to this area where there is a man who, Mark says, is with an unclean spirit. We saw in Mark chapter 1, verse 23, where Mark uses the term unclean spirit to refer to demons. You say, well, well Pastor Tanner, I, I, I've heard about demons. I, I know they're in the Bible. Um, but but how, how am I to think about a demon? What is a demon? What are demons? And I'm just following Wayne Grudem here when he defines them and describes them as evil angels who sinned against God and who now continually work evil in the world. Now, now it's important as we work our way through Mark 5 that, that we see most translations, even the ESV here, the English Standard Version, which we use here at Redemption Hill on Sundays, uh, it describes the man as demon-possessed. But that is not what the Greek word would, would communicate. It, it is more like demonized. That this man is under the influence of a demon, or as we're going to see, demons, and he is, he is certainly influenced. He is even inhabited by them, but we need to make the theological point that demons own nothing. This is God's world. So they can wield wild and strong influence from varying degrees, from mild influence to very, very strong influence in a person's life, and here we are certainly dealing with the latter. What is this demonic influence? What does this demonization look like in this man's life? Well, let this description sink in. These are not just words on a page. This was a real reality for this suffering man. Verse 3 describes, begins to describe his erratic and abnormal behavior, so much so that people viewed him as a threat, and they bound him with chains. But another, another uh, maybe uh, indicator of, of demonic influence is this man possessed supernatural strength to the point that the text says that, that they couldn't bind him anymore for he had often been bound, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces and no one had the strength to subdue him. The word subdue can refer to taming a wild animal. This is how uh, influential the demons were in this man's life. And not only that, verse four, 5 says that he cried out night and day under demonic torment in great emotional pain. Think about it. This man is in isolation. He is isolated from his loved ones, isolated from, from everyone else in society. People wanted nothing to do with him. He's even, as we would go on to see, he's even naked. Can you believe that this naked man dwelling among the dead is, is so tormented? I mean, he would have carried great, great emotional pain and shame from this demonic activity. 
in his life. But then the end of verse 5 takes it a deeper level. It says that not only was he crying out, this is like continuous, night and day, but it says that he was cutting himself with stones. He was self-destructive, even suicidal. And I just want to pause and say that, that any and every suicidal thought is demonic in nature. Any suicidal thought is demonic. And I'm not saying that every thought that we have is from demons, okay? We are sinful people. We are fallen. We don't think right. But even the thoughts that arise within us that would seek to destroy any life, any time, anywhere, even our own, it is demonic in nature from the pit of hell. And we need to understand that suicidal thoughts are on the increase in our culture and in our world. The National Institute of Mental Health would tell us that over the past 20 years, suicides rate, suicide rates have climbed 40%. The CDC would tell us that over the past 10 years, among people aged 10 to 24, that number is 60%. We must not be okay with this. We we must help people in their their point of need, their point of pain. Listen, if if you ever have a suicidal thought, especially if those thoughts are recurring, please cry out for help. Please let us know. We will not judge you. We will help you. We will walk with you. That's what Jesus does here. I mean, is it any coincidence? Like, are we reading the text and thinking like, oh, Jesus just happened to, you know, land among the the place of the dead. I have to think that, that he's strategically going to this spot on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee to meet this man to deliver him. The great love of God. We see it in verse 8. He's, he's out of his great love and compassion speaking to and commanding the demon. And he's saying, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And as Jesus launches this confrontation with, with the demon, uh, possessed, the demonized man, uh, he, he, the demon then causes the man to run and fall at at Jesus' feet, okay? Oftentimes we'll see that in the Bible and it'll be like an act of worship. This is not an act of worship from the, from the demons. But it is a sure signal of their recognition of Jesus' authority. Listen, Jesus always has the authority over the demonic realm. There's never a contest. He is always supreme. And then the demon cries out. What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Demons have better theology than most of us. They they knew who Jesus was, and yet they rejected him. They, They hated him, and they hate us. 
They hate everything that God made, every, every image bearer of God, every human being, all of God's creation, as we'll see even with the pigs. They, they hate it. They, they, uh, they uh, rage against God and his good work. But they get it right. He is the son of the most high God. But, but then, just in an ironic, twisted, uh, almost annoying statement, they say, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Now, let's just pause and think about this, okay? Uh, they are talking to the Son of the Most High God, and they say, I adjure you by God. I mean, like, how asinine, how ridiculous, how hypocritical, how foolish. Like, they think that the Son of the Most High God is is they're going to, like, talk to his dad and, and, and that his dad is going to advocate on their behalf? I mean, this should make demons a little less intimidating, okay? They are, they are annoying. They are childish. And we see this even in the next statement. Do not torment us. Like, that's, there's justice, right? Like, the tormentors saying, don't torment us. Don't set this right. Don't like this. The, the work of setting people free, it's about justice. It's about setting things right. But even in this, we, we, we can even ask an interesting question. Like, who is, who is speaking here in verse 7? Is it, is it the man? Is it the demons? And we can't know 100% for sure, but it's probably yes. Like oftentimes what, what, what you will encounter are, are demons speaking through people, even that's how they're recognized is, is when they're, they're speaking so, so out of turn, something that a person would, would never say or so out of character. But then Jesus in verse 9 is, it's, again, so, so crazy, so interesting. He, he's having a conversation with these demons. He says, what is your name? And we ask, well, why would, why would Jesus ask their name? And they say, legion, for we are many, referring to like a, a, a Roman army, a legion of the Roman army, thousands of, of troops that would be represented in a legion. But, but I think that Jesus asked the question, not because he's not familiar or knows, but because he wants everyone else to know, his disciples and everyone around, what he is dealing with in this demonized man. And so the demons know that they are done for, they are they are about to be dealt with, and so they start trying to negotiate. They say, like, hey, Jesus, don't send this out of the country. Like, and I love that. What does that imply? Like, they know his power. They know, like, he can speak to them, and they can be out of there miles and miles and miles. And so they say, please send us. They beg, please send us into the pigs. And Jesus, in verse 13, allows it. It says, he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd. Numbering about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now, again, I just, like, after hearing the, the heart of the story, like, are you not also thinking, like, wow, this is, this is just a crazy, crazy, crazy story. But it teaches us so much. Let's summarize what we've learned about demonic manifestation and how we can even have our eyes open to perhaps even recognize demonic presence in our midst, in the presence of a, of a person. 
Number one, demons often reveal themselves with abnormal behavior. We see it here, wailing, crying out, supernatural strength. Number two, demons seek to destroy, often causing intense physical, emotional, or psychological pain. The intensity of the suffering and the level of oppression that this man experienced were indicators of his demonic activity. And we remember the words of Jesus in John chapter 10, which has no greater application than to the work of Satan and his demons, when Jesus says the thief comes to only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. There's no greater contrast than the work of the, the kingdom of darkness and the work of the sun in the kingdom of light. They come to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus comes to give life, and not just a little bit of life, not just like, but he gives abundant life, both now and forever. And then we also see demons know the, the identity of Jesus, and they fear his power which is really good news for us because they fear his power in us, which should lead us to ask the question, this one's a tough one, but what kind of power are we living with? And we're going to talk a lot more about that when we get to Mark chapter 9 uh, in a couple of months. But a couple more things here. Demons can be supernaturally discerned. I mean, Jesus steps off the boat, and, and he's like, he gets to work. He sees, here, here's a man that's being demonized, and, and I'm going to set him free. Which brings us to the last observation. Demons are stubborn, and typically they must be commanded to leave. I mean, even for Jesus, we get that like in this instance, not every instance, sometimes it's like one command, they're gone, but in this instance, it's like he speaks multiple times to the demonized man, and, and the demons are stubborn. They don't like it. They resist, but they can't ultimately resist the power of Jesus Christ. So I know you may be here on Sunday morning at Redemption Hill. I was like, wow, I showed up on the Sunday that they're talking about demons. I'm so glad I like first time guests. Thank you for coming. Welcome to Redemption Hill. We love Jesus. We're all about Jesus. Okay, so like we're going to just talk about what the Bible talks about. And this Sunday, it happens to be the Sunday where we're talking about demons. <laughs> you say, well, Pastor Tanner, do you, do you believe that demons exist today? I guess I've already tipped my hand. Like, yes, Absolutely. There is no indication in the Bible that after the first century, demons handed in their resignation letter to, to Jesus and said, hey, we're done tormenting people. We're done opposing you. In fact, the New Testament would indicate that they are going to continue their opposition to God and his kingdom. And Revelation 12 even says that Satan in his great wrath will rage all the more. As he knows, his time is short. His days are numbered. And so what about the next question? Do demons exist in our city? I would just say look around. Look around. We see, we see evidence of, of, of their work in, in destroying people's souls and in the taking of, of life. So what do we, what do, we do if we encounter one, what, what do we do? Like, and it's not always maybe in people. Sometimes you may sense it in, a, in just a, 
uh, in your life or they're as you're going about, especially as you're on mission, going about the mission of God. This is why we hear more reports of, of, of demonic uh, deliverance when, when the gospel is advancing in an area. We follow Jesus' example. Like here, Here's some really, really, really important truth for, for you to receive today. Okay, We, we do not in, in the least bit have to be intimidated by the presence of demons. Now, I'm not saying you experience some demonic oppression. You see a demonized person. Like Your first reaction may be to fear a little bit, but you just remind yourself that Jesus has the authority, that he is in you, and you can speak to the demon and command them to leave. That's, like, that's, that's, how we, that's how we do it. We, we speak to them. We tell them to leave in Jesus' name. Jesus didn't have to say his name because Jesus was doing it, but we say the name of Jesus because the name of Jesus is powerful. The name of Jesus is the name that demons hate. It's the one that they oppose. And so we speak to the demons and we trust that by the power of God, they will leave. And if they don't leave, we speak again, and we pray some more, and we speak again, and we pray some more. And if, and if we're up against it and it's not happening, then we keep praying until we see people set free. Because that leads us to the last question. And again, perhaps the most important question, why should we do this? It's because people are suffering. People are hurting and they need to experience the, the radical love of God and his healing power. They need to be set free. We can move forward with confidence because Jesus is in us. Jesus has given us the authority. Go read Luke chapter 10, Matthew 28. We don't have to fear. We can be confident because our God is with us. So this, this first section of the chapter tells us that the love of Christ drives out the destructive influence of demons. That's exactly what he does. This is love of a different kind, even the kind that would confront the demonic and set people free. Which leads us to the second point here this morning, that the love of Christ brings radical healing and freedom. I mean, we can imagine that if this happened and, and, and you saw it, that, that you would probably, like the herdsmen of the pigs, like you would immediately run and go tell other people, hey, this is what just happened. Verse 14 says that the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, everyone, everywhere. And, and not surprisingly, the people then naturally want to see it for themselves. But verse 15, verse 15 tells us what they saw. It says they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the demonized man, the one who had the legion. Listen to this. He's sitting there. He's sitting there. He has clothes on. No doubt probably given to him by Jesus and his disciples. He's in his right mind. Please don't rush past this verse. This may be one of the greatest pictures in the Bible of 
the power of God, the love of Christ, and the transformation that he can bring to anyone. The isolated man living among the tombs. He's sitting there, and now he is experiencing friendship. God made us for friendship. He made us for relationship. He didn't make us for isolation. Jesus is entering the pain because he wants to see this man loved again. Oh, this text blew me up this week in the best kind of way. The unbindable man. He's now sitting there calm. He's calm. He has, he has peace. This tormented, tormented man, he's experiencing peace. The man who was shamed by his actions and his nakedness is now clothed. The man crying out night and day, he is now sitting there in his right mind. And the man who inflicted pain on himself, cutting himself with, with stone, is now healed. What a picture. What a picture. Hello and welcome to the kingdom of Christ. Hello and welcome to the love of God. This is who our God is. Jesus shows up. What are the first words out of his mouth in the synagogue of Nazareth? He opens up, like he, he finds Isaiah 61. Okay, that's not a mistake, all right? It's like, oh, just like, you know, sometimes we read the Bible in the morning, you know, like, I don't know what to read. I'll just flip. You ever do that? I'll just flip. Jesus is not just flipping when he finds Isaiah 61, verse 1, and it says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has empowered me. He has set me apart. He has sent me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Hello, Mark chapter 5. This should thrill your heart this morning. This should fire you up about the kingdom of God that everyone is invited into to be a part of and to experience in our lives. This is love of a different kind, the quality. I'm talking about love of a different kind, not just the kind that, that would, that would uh, confront demons and set people free, but the, a different quality of love, a radical love that brings such deep healing and freedom. God made us to live free. Shout out New Hampshire. He made us to live free. He created us for freedom, absolute freedom. I, I, just, I just grieve, and, it, and it's even in my own life when, when I'm not living free, when I see Christians that are so afraid and hesitant and not living free because God made us for freedom. In Galatians chapter 1, it says, for freedom, for freedom, you might want to write this down, for freedom, Christ has set you free. Why did Jesus set you free? He set you free to be free, to live free. And how many of us so often were just weighed down by, by thoughts that are not of God, lies of the enemy, thoughts in our own lives. We're not enough. We're not good enough. We can't do anything. We'll never amount to anything. In a spirit of fear that Paul talks about in 2 Timothy 1, that's not of God. But, but God has given us a, a spirit, the, the Holy Spirit who gives love, discipline, and self-control. 
Jesus came to set us free. He wants us to experience freedom. Yes, first and foremost, freedom from, from our sin. Our sin against God, the, the wrong that we do against God, the rebellion where we don't follow God's ways. He wants us to set us free from our sin. Jesus in John chapter 8, when he's talking about us practicing sin and being, yes, are you ready, enslaved to sin. He says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth that's coming out of his mouth about the kingdom of God, that truth will set them free. That truth will set us free. And oh, by the way, Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the truth and the way and the life. You want to get to God, you better come through me. You have to come through me. Jesus is the truth. When we meet Jesus and we, and we experience his love and his dying sacrifice that we'll celebrate all week this week and reflect on with Good Friday, he died to set us free. And not only that, he came to set us free from the influence of Satan. 1 John 3, 8, we've quoted it before. We'll keep quoting it as we go throughout the Gospel of Mark. The reason the Son of God appeared, you might want to also write this down, 1 John 3, 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus showed up to deal with the devil and his work and to destroy it. That's why we don't have to be intimidated. That's how we can live free. And so this story tells us about the radical love of God, but this story also tells us that not everyone loved the radical love of God. Verse 15 at the end, it says that the people of the town and the cities and the countryside, it says that they were afraid. And then we might be surprised to, to see in verse 17 that it says they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. I mean, can you believe it? It's like the, 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 the man that they told their kids, like, don't go near the tombs because that man is there and you don't know what that man is going to do to you. This man has been completely healed by Jesus and they are telling Jesus, hey, get out of here. The kingdom of God is glowing before their eyes and they're saying, no, thank you. Why? What, like, what, like, why would they do this? Some people point to the financial ramifications of the 2,000 pigs. No doubt a great monetary cost and economic impact on their community. Kim Huat Tan says this, that he says that to those who have eyes only for economics... 2,000 pigs are worth more than one formerly insane man. And I mean, even as Americans in our materialistic society, you know, we might kind of have the same inclination. Like, hey, that's a great cost. Man, no wonder they're telling Jesus to leave. I might. But this is the economics of God's kingdom. Let's, let's do a little study in the economics, the values of God's kingdom. As James Edwards says, in the eyes of Jesus, the rescue and restoration of one person is more important than vast capital assets. 
Jesus crossed the sea for one person. Jesus says that one person, the value of one person's soul has such infinite value that everything else does not compare. And I know it may be hard for you to believe this, especially if you are new to the story of Jesus and Christianity, but I'm here to tell you today that your soul is just as valuable to God. You have infinite worth because you are made in the image of an infinitely good God. And he's coming after each one of us with his radical love to help us heal and to set us We have to decide if we will accept his love. If we will not only accept his love, but then like this freed man, want to walk so closely with him, just to be with him and to let other people know about how great our God is. The love of Christ not only brings radical healing and freedom, but I love this last part that we see in the story. The love of Christ moves the freed to bring freedom to others. The love of Christ moves the freed to bring freedom to others. It's, there's a bit of irony again here in the story. Verse 18, it says that as Jesus was getting into the boat, remember they begged him to get out of here, so Jesus is getting out of here. And as he's leaving, it says the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. The people are begging Jesus to leave. The man is begging Jesus to be with him. And we're reminded this is the first step of discipleship. This is what following Jesus looks like. We just want to be with him. We just want to have focused face-to-face time with Jesus every single day to walk closely with him in all of life. But then another surprise, Jesus doesn't allow him, but it's for a strategic purpose. Verse 19, he says, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Jesus makes this man a missionary. Go, go tell your friends, go tell your family, go tell the people in your networks how much I, the Lord, another allusion to his deity, has done for you and how I have had mercy on you. You go tell your story and tell it again and again and again. And I I love this because you may be asking a question too. It's like we've heard in Mark where Jesus will heal someone and I'll say, shh, be quiet, don't tell everybody. But as we've explained the, the messianic secret, how the Jews had wrong expectations of the Messiah, so they thought the Messiah was going to bring an earthly kingdom and he was going to conquer all of their enemies. But remember, this is Gentile territory. This man would not have had this understanding, nor the people whom he would share with. So Jesus says, you go and you tell people what I have done, and that's exactly what he does. Verse 20 describes his efforts. He went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. I mean, don't you just love what happens when we encounter the radical healing power and freedom of Jesus Christ? Tell my friends, 
I'm telling everyone, the Decapolis was, Deca means 10, right? It was 10 cities, Polis City, like 10 cities, an entire region that this man, he is just marching from one. I'm going to Stoneham. I'm going to Woburn. I'm coming back to Medford. I'm going to Malden. I'm going to Arlington, down into Somerville and Cambridge. You can't stop me in Winchester. I am going all over the place to let people know who God is and what he has done for me and how he's had mercy on me. Jesus invites us to do the same. He invites us to do the same. In our schools, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, when we go to Wegmans or Market Basket or wherever you go, dunks and whatever, it's people all around us who we want to know who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So I would ask you this morning, who's in your network? Who's, who's the one person that God may be bringing to your mind right now? Who he's saying, go love them in my name. Go, go tell them how much I have done for you and how I've had mercy on you and the difference that I make in your life. I mean, you don't, have to, you don't have to, like, give the play-by-play of the 66 books. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can just say, like, hey, the peace that we all long for, the justice that we should all live for, like, any angle, any area of life, like, we can get to the story of Jesus Christ by simply sharing how he has changed us. What an appropriate week to hear these words. Easter week, the easiest time to invite someone into the story of Jesus. I dare you to go for it. I dare you to ask God, God, show me the one person or the people that I can love in your name. I dare you to ask God to give you the strength to go for it this week. And listen, I know it may be awkward, but as we heard last week, we can take a risk because our Father is the King of the universe. We have nothing to fear. God is with us. We can step out and love people in His name. And just think about it. I mean, it can be so easy. It doesn't have to be complex or complicated. You can, you can literally... Just, you know, sometimes I do this in sermons. I'm going to do it right now once again just to show you, just to show you, not just to encourage you. My guy, I'll leave his name out right now, okay? www.rhc.church forward slash Easter would love for, I missed, that was autocorrect, live. Now we're going back, would love for you to join us. Exclamations, I did too. You can do as many as you want. Um, online or in person. Why do I do that? I don't do it to be condescending at all. I really don't. This is why I do it. 
because all of hell will come against you when you pick up your phone to do it. We have the privilege to live with a love of a different kind. To not just see the gospel spread throughout all of greater Boston, bringing awakening and revival to this greatest city on the planet, but then to see it multiply out across New England and America and the world. That's why we're giving and going and sharing and praying for Multiply March. In just a few minutes, we're gonna, I'm going to give some dollars as part of this church to the efforts that are happening in Montreal, Belmont, and East Africa. We do it because we've been freed. We do it because we've experienced the love of God in Jesus Christ. And so what I want to do is this. I want to invite Pedro to come on up and and begin to, to get ready to play and lead us in a song of response. But if we were to, if we were to, to look at the, the, the rest of, of, of the gospel of Mark, are you ready for this? In Mark chapter 8, if we fast forward, we would see that Jesus goes back across the Sea of Galilee into Jewish territory. But then at the end of chapter 7 and into chapter 8, he comes back into the Decapolis. And it's in Mark chapter 8 where he feeds 4,000 people who are hungry and don't have the means to buy bread. Do you think that maybe, just maybe, this one man who was healed and set free by Jesus compelled many, many, many of those 4,000. He was the first witness in the Catholics. He was the one that was spreading the news of Jesus. And as more and more people hear about his teaching and hear about his healing power, and they see it with their own eyes, they want to learn for themselves. Please don't underestimate what God can do through one person. And don't underestimate that that one person can be you. I long to see it. I long to be it. God, help me. God, help us. And just one more encouragement before we sing about it. Listen, Palm Sunday, what did Jesus do? He he took a donkey. That tells us something about our God. We have a humble king. He rides in on a, a donkey's foal. It's like a young dog, like a, a, just a, 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 a young donkey. There you go. And the people are shouting, Hosanna, salvation is here. Save us. But the way he is going to save them is by dying for them. And what does Colossians 2 say about all of this? This should infuse us with confidence to not live weak, anemic lives, but confident, confident. Thank you, Jesus, you're inside of me. Thank you, Jesus, that you have given me your Holy Spirit that I don't have to back down when the enemy says, oh, they're not going to listen, they're not going to care, they're going to think you're foolish, oh, you're some Jesus freak, don't share with them, they would never come. Your dollars won't make a difference. And you, if you are in Christ, and you, 
were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. Listen to this. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. This is good news. This is Good Friday. And what did he do on the cross? He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Jesus on the cross defeated what are the authorities and and, and the rulers? They are the demonic forces. He defeats them and he shames them by dying in our place to give us life and to let the kingdom of light and God march forward to see people set free. Father, we ask that you would help us to believe this, not just this words of 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 a pumped up preacher. God, your words. God, your words. Again, we pray as we've prayed again and again in this Mark series, God, you have to convince us. You have to convince us that these words are true. You have to convince us that Jesus is real and alive and ready to empower us to love people in your name, to see you bring healing and, forgive, and forgiveness and freedom to the people around us. Lord, empower us. Help us to live free this week, to live free to shout your name from the mountains, to tell that you and you alone are God. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.